Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Do you have a kind of a pencil of your dreams? If I had to pick one that was my only pencil for the rest of my life, I would pick one that's Japanese. That's called the Tombow Mono 100. Just like the design details and the finishings on this pencil are spectacular. It's like as close as you get to like a luxury pencil. And even so, it's like a luxury pencil and most retailers sell it for like $2.50 or like $3. I love that about the pencil that you can get the nicest pencil that exists and it costs you less than $5. It's pretty cool. Hello and welcome once again to another episode of Patented with me, Dallas Campbell. It's a podcast about the history of inventions. Thank you very much for your company. It's lovely to have you with me today. What is a perfectly designed object? What does a perfectly designed object look like? It's difficult to put something like that into words, but we know good design when we see it. It's satisfying. There's something just right about it. It's not over-designed. It's not under-designed. It's that perfect sweet spot. Uh, Maybe it's what I've got in my hand now, which is a pencil, just a basic common garden pencil. It's so familiar, it becomes almost invisible, but it's very satisfying. It works. It doesn't matter where you are. A pencil is going to be able to do its thing. It's easily sharpened when the lead gets blunt. The little bit of metal at the end is very satisfying. It grips onto at one end the wooden pencil shaft and at the other end the rubber. There is something just wholesome uh, about a pencil. And it's a design that actually took shape over centuries, starting in the 1500s, believe it or not, and a fallen down tree in the Lake District in England, believe it or not, in whose roots was revealed a strange black substance. And then from there, the pencil evolves over hundreds and hundreds of years through revolutions and across continents, in the hands of craftsmen and artists and soldiers and inventors, until it finally arrives at the perfect design that we see today. My guest today, Caroline Weaver, who was the proud, was the proud owner, I should say, of New York City's only shop dedicated exclusively to selling pencils and is the author of Pencils You Should Know, a history of the ultimate writing utensil in 75 anecdotes. It's great. But before we begin, I need to thank listener Anna. Thank you, Anna, for getting in touch with the idea for today's episode. And you're going to know as you listen to this episode, it's an episode that is very close to my heart. I think I'm a bit obsessed with pencil. I didn't realise I was obsessed with pencils until I started thinking about them. But anyway, there you go. Thank you, Anna. Uh, Right now, sharpen your pencils. Here we go. I've been really looking forward to this episode because where I live in London, 
There's an amazing shop just around the corner in Clark and Well called Present and Correct. And I bet you know them because they do beautiful vintage stationery. I say, oh, this is an amazing shop. We'll go and see it. They're like, why is stationery interesting? And I'm like, oh, you don't understand. So I'm hoping you understand. I don't, do you know Present and Correct? Do you know that shop? They have a physical shop, like your physical shop, but they also, I guess they're mainly kind of online. Yeah, I know Present and Correct very well. Neil, who owns Present and Correct, and I used to collaborate and do an annual pencil advent calendar. I picked out and supplied the pencils and he did all the design. And it sold out in like two minutes every year. It was awesome. <laughs> they are 300 yards from where I am sitting right now. Oh, you were very I lucky. I them every day and every day I'm like, oh, I need to have that, whatever it is. I mean, it's not just pencils. It's all kinds of weird, esoteric, odd things from around the world. But tell me about your shop. You had a shop, but it's no longer. Am I, is that right? What's the deal? Correct. It was late 2014. I opened a shop here in New York City that sold only pencils from all over the world. Every single type of pencil I could possibly get my hands on. And I did that for seven years, which is honestly longer than I thought I could. And I closed it in 2021. Oh, no. Um, with a very celebratory closing. Actually, I was just out going to the shop and I walked past President to Correct and I thought, I do need to buy some new pencils. Pencils, by the way, are my writing implement of choice. I love pencils. I've always written with pencils. This is my favorite pencil. I'm going to hold it up. It's the Tennessee Red. It's a classic American pencil made of cedar. And part of the reason I love them, other than that they work, is the smell. Like the smell of pencils made of cedar for me is, I just, I don't know. Tennessee red cedar is like the original pencil wood and Musgrave is the only company using yeah. it these days. It's gone kind of defunct otherwise. Has it? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that because I have to go and buy lots. I just love the box as well. It's a beautiful red box. I don't know what the font is, but it's a really nice kind of italic font. It's just, I don't know. There's something very American and I don't know when they're from, 1960s, 1970s? You would know. That's actually a recent product. Those only came out a couple of years it? ago. Yeah. This. Oh, you're kidding. I thought these were really old. They look like they are. The design team has done a very good job. Musgrave is an old family-owned pencil factory in Tennessee. They're one of three left in the United States. And originally, there were a lot of pencil factories that settled in that area of Tennessee because there was an abundance of red cedar. And that's what pencils were being made out of at the time. And as the supply grew scarce and California incense cedar became the more popular choice. A lot of those factories closed. And this one still remains. And a couple of years ago, they decided they were going to try to make a pencil out of actual Tennessee red cedar again. And they did. And it's very popular. It smells amazing. And they were just really nice to write with, too. And they're just a really nice little family-owned company. They really are nice. To, I absolutely love them. And I love them when you get them in your box. Of course, they don't have a tip on them or a point. You have to sharpen them yourself and get them to a point. Oh, I'm, I'm slightly obsessed by pencil sharpeners as well, but that's a whole other podcast. I'm going to go down. Oh, this is going to go on for hours. Caroline, thank you so much for being on the show. Now, okay, let's start at the beginning. Who invented the pencil? What, where? Why? How? And what's your favorite pencil fact? You've got some great pencil facts. What's your favorite one? Oh, okay. Wow, we've got a lot to cover. I so- know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just throwing things at you. I'm slightly excited by this episode because it's about pencils. Anyway, paint a picture for us of like a time when a sort of pencil was invented. Like where in the world are we? In terms of graphite, as some people I know will know this story, but in terms of how do you go from just a piece of graphite or a piece of charcoal to something wrapped in wood? Yeah. Well, if we're starting from the beginning, we are in the 16th century in the Lake District in England where a big tree fell down and 
I believe it was a shepherd who was just like moseying along and he noticed this like peculiar black stuff stuck to the roots of this tree and was like, what is that? And so they dug it up and they found this stuff underneath the ground in the Lake District that was an unknown substance, which is what we know as graphite now. And at the time, of course, this was before modern chemistry. They had no idea what they were looking at. They were like, this is weird. It transfers onto things. They were like, it kind of looks like lead. So they called it black lead. Is that why we call pencil lead pencil lead? Even though it's not made of lead, obviously. Correct. That is the first fact. (gasps) Yes. So that is where that comes from, is that for a really long time, for like longer than you would expect, it took about 100 years to come up with the word graphite. It was called a number of things, but black lead being the main one, And so that's why still we call it lead. That's just what they called it before they could discover like the actual chemical composition of it and gave it its own name. This tree that fell down in the 16th century in the Lake District, graphite, is it the same as burnt wood, isn't it? Is that right? I mean, what is graphite? Graphite has a very similar carbon structure to diamonds. If you were to like intervene with graphite under the ground and basically like compress it at a higher temperature for a longer amount of time, it would like basically turn into a diamond. It's a proto-diamond. It's sort of on the way to being a diamond. Pretty much, yeah. So how did it form in the Lake District and like why did it form like? No one really knows. Graphite is actually an interesting substance because it's found pretty much everywhere in the world and varying qualities. The funny thing is, is that still to this day, the highest quality, most pure graphite that has ever been found was that original mine in the Lake District. Nothing better has been found since then. That is my favourite fact. Like, I wonder what it is. Well, it's just the Lake District. It's such a fantastic place. That's the only reason. God thought the Lake District, that's where we'll put the graphite. We'll stick that in the ground there. That's, yep, that's absolutely it. It was all in the plan. This farmer, he finds this tree and he finds this graphite. And so take us on the story from there. Like, how do we go from there to a pencil? Yeah, so what are the original applications for it? Was that they just like, dug it up. They cut it into slices. I mean, this stuff was so pure that you could literally just cut it into slices and use it like a graphite stick. And they used it to mark their sheep. That was one of the original applications of it. And then artists figured out that this was like a way cooler way to draw than using ink or paint because you could just like rub it away. And so pure graphite is super messy. So they wrap it in string to protect their hands and to strengthen it. Word got around and some Germans figured out that this new substance existed. And so from what we know about pencil history, what is documented in Germany is when they started casing it in wood. The first evidence of a pencil cased in wood is, I think, from the mid-1700s. Like, it took a long time to get there. And because, of course, this was before industrialization, all this had to be done by hand. So it required a very skilled craftsman to make a wooded pencil. And they figured out that it was easier to do it that way because graphite's really fragile. You drop it once, it shatters into a million pieces. And so they were like, okay, we'll put it in wood so that it stays protected and we can get the most use out of it. And so a guild was formed of cabinet makers who were skilled enough to make pencils. And in Germany, they were really strict about it. Like if you were not a qualified person in the guild, you could not legally make pencils. There must have been someone who first had the idea of, I know, if we sandwiched the graphite between two bits of wood somehow. Yeah, I mean, there's not really one person who we're certain was like the first one. However, there was actually a lawsuit relatively recently in Germany between the Statler family and the Faber-Castell family about whose company is the oldest because both of their companies do really go back to like the very beginning of pencil making. And... Yeah, my personal opinion is that the Statler family made the first 
pencils in Germany. However, the Faber-Castell family was the first one to actually like form a dedicated company for it. So like business-wise, yeah, sure, Faber-Castell was probably like selling pencils first, but the Statler family were the first ones officially making them, in my opinion. Who would be using these pencils? Um, Was it just sort of quills and ink before and then suddenly this new thing comes along? It was artists. It was tradespeople. I mean, at the time, this was before any sort of like pen was invented. So the alternative for writing was a quill and ink. And so if you think about that compared to a pencil, like a pencil is the obvious easiest choice. Like you carry around one object. It's not going to leak in your bag or your pocket. Like it's just one thing versus like having to deal with a quill and ink. And so it was convenient. And I think pretty early on, they figured out also that graphite is an archival material. Graphite does not fade ever. It's more archival than any type of ink to this day or any type of writing tool. But once we get into like the history of wars that followed, pencil became the writing tool of choice in militaries because it was just more convenient and easier when you're like in a war and you need something to write with, you use a pencil because it's easy to store. We're talking about sort of Napoleonic France. Mm-hmm. Is all the graphite coming from the Lake District? Is, is the Lake District the kind of ground zero of graphite still? Yeah, for the most part, all the graphite is still coming from the Lake District. They had discovered some graphite in other parts of Europe, but the problem with it was that the purity just wasn't there. It was impossible to use because it was nothing compared to the Lake District graphite. And so that was the big problem. And that was especially a problem when at the beginning of the Anglo-French War, because all of the graphite supply from England was cut off to the French army. And so they couldn't get a hold of any of it. And so they all of a sudden had this problem where all they had access to was this really, really inferior graphite. And so this is when a really important invention happened. Napoleon had contracted this guy called Nicolas Jacques Conte. And I guess he was like a retired hot air balloon engineer. He lost an eye in his like previous job. They needed to use him for something else. And so he was given this task of trying to figure out how to make a pencil with this really bad graphite, a pencil that actually held together and a pencil that like would actually work. And they had previously experimented with grinding it up and sifting out the impurities and like mixing it with other stuff. And these things would just crumble. They were terrible. And so Legend has it that I think it was 10 days that in 10 days, he figured out how to do this thing that people had spent years trying to do. And he took this really impure graphite and sifted out all the impurities and mixed it with a little bit of powdered clay and water and fired it in a kiln as you would fire like ceramics and created this pencil core that was significantly stronger and more useful than what they had been making before. And to this day, that's exactly how pencils are made. Well, actually, that chemistry is really interesting. It's just suddenly occurred to me. The kind of grading of pencils, we have sort of H, H, B, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Presumably, that comes from the change in the chemistry. Obviously, you have very hard pencils, anyone who does sketching, and then you go down to 6Bs, which are very, very soft And presumably that's to do with the way that the mixture, that mixture you were talking about, is added. Yeah, that's correct. It's just the ratio of graphite to clay. That's all it is. H and HB, where do they come from? Do you know? I don't know what the H stands for. What does the B and the H stand for? I have no idea. Hard and bold is what people like to think they stand for. But then the weird thing is in like this non-American pencil grading, you have a random F in there. It goes HB, F, and then H. Yes. Like where does the F come from? People say that that stands for (laughs) firm. Like no one really knows The story that I think is the funniest is there's a company called Koinor that is based in the Czech Republic. And 
they've been in the game since the 1800s and they innovated a lot of things about the modern pencil. Like they're the ones who first painted the pencil yellow and they're the first ones who made this really, really wide range of hardnesses. It was at the Paris Exposition. They came out with this huge range of like all these hardnesses. They were painted yellow. They were dipped in gold. They cost seven times more than the average pencil at the time. It was a scandal that they came out with these pencils. So apparently I heard this story from somebody who works for this company. So the original family who founded this, the Hardmuth family is what they're called. The original brand name was Allen C. Hardmuth. So they claim that the H stands for Hardmuth. The B stands for Budweiss, which is where they were based at the time. And F stands for Franz. Some guy named Franz is where the F comes from. I believe Franz was like one of the founders or the brother or somebody in the family. I haven't revisited this story for a while. But yeah, that's their story is that they just like picked these words based on their own personal history. But of course, then like the Germans are like, no, that's not true. Like you didn't invent this. It stands for these other words that are significantly more common. But I like these stories that are kind of lost in time and under debate. Didn't Henry David Thoreau have something to do with it? Yeah. So all this stuff is happening happening in Europe. Nicola Conte figured out how to make this pencil core. They're still mining graphite in England, though they're getting into trouble because they're almost out of graphite. And there are people in Germany making pencils. And meanwhile, in America, there's also graphite in America. A lot of it's coming from upstate New York and like various places on the East Coast. And I mean, it's just it's amazing to think about how word of all this stuff traveled at the time. Like how on earth did some guys in Massachusetts hear about this? And they're like, okay, we can do that too. And just started digging around. Like it's unbelievable to me. And so it's actually Henry David Thoreau's father, John Thoreau, who is kind of credited for being like the first commercial pencil maker in America. And he was doing something very similar where he was a craftsman who worked in wood. And so he was making all these pencils by hand and his pencils were round. They had no frills. They just were like these round pencils. And they were mixing graphite with spermaceti, which was how they were like making their pencil cores strong enough to use. Wait, what's it called? Spermaceti? What the heck is that? Spermaceti, which comes from a sperm whale. They were making their own version of like a pencil core. And Henry David Thoreau, before he became a writer and before he went off to school to study and before he went to Walden Pond, he was just like helping out his dad in the workshop. And this is another story that like isn't really confirmed to be actual truth, but is still kind of documented. Apparently, he figured out how to make a strong pencil core the exact same way that Nicola Conte did, like around the same time. Some people think that he like read about it in an encyclopedia and then just copied it. But who knows? He also credited with coming up with the American grading scale, which is number one, number two and number three, sometimes a number four, where a number two represents the same thing as an HB. The Thoreau were the first people doing that. So Henry David Thoreau and his dad were making pencils. His dad was the one with the skills. Henry David Thoreau had the brains. He was the one figuring out all these new innovations. And then when he went off to study and became a writer and left his dad to go to Walden Pond, he kind of abandoned the pencil industry. And his dad retired and then fell ill and died. And he came back and participated in not necessarily pencil making, but in the graphite trade and in the pencil trade for a while. But yeah, once he became a famous writer, kind of fell out of that. But yeah, it's an interesting history. A lot of the American pencil makers were all working out of Concord, Massachusetts. They were all in the same area. I'm Professor Susanna Lipscomb. 
And on my podcast, not just the Tudors from History Hit, I try to make sense of everything that baffled our early modern ancestors. Like, what do you do with your waist? If you put your dunghill up against your neighbour's wall, you're going to cause rising damp. Would Henry VIII ever consider executing his wife, the Queen of England, Anne Boleyn? I'm not even sure if the Boleyns took it seriously, because why would they have any reason to suspect Henry VIII would really get rid of his queen? And why do men grow beards? During puberty, the male body heats up and a smoke rises in the body, pushes out the hair in the face. So the beard is actually a form of excrement. In other words, not just the Tudors, but most definitely also the Tudors. Twice a week, every week. Listen and follow on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I think what's interesting about this story is that the pencil, it kind of unites lots of different things together. It's like you said, it's tradespeople use pencils. Your plumber or your carpenter will use a pencil. The greatest artists in the world use pencils. Novelists use pencils. It kind of brings together the arts and the sciences. It kind of unifies us along something really, really simple. I think maybe for me, that's what's kind of so satisfying. I think it is that simplicity. Actually, before we get onto that, I'm looking at my pencil. And of course, there's that little metal bit at the top with it has the eraser or the rubber, as we like to say in the UK. It, does that have an origin? That does have an origin. That is an American invention that came about in the mid 1800s, or at least that's when the first patent was filed for some sort of an attached eraser. It didn't quite look like that. It was drilled so that the eraser kind of like plugged into the end of the pencil. And the ferrule didn't come around until a while longer. The ferrule is the metal part that holds the eraser on. What's it called? The, fa- the ferrule? Ferrule, How do yeah. I- Great. I've never known that. Yeah. I've never known. And it took about, I guess, 20 years before the ferrule came along. And yeah, I have no explanation for why the idea of putting an eraser on a pencil has remained an American thing for all this time. It was invented here. It kind of became the norm at the turn of the century. It was about when the pencil industry really started taking off. And so, I mean, that was probably the height of the American pencil industry. And this invention of putting an eraser on the end of a pencil was still relatively new. And so I get that it was new, it was popular, it was convenient. So everybody was doing it and it just stuck and just never really made it anywhere else. One thing that's interesting about the eraser attached to a pencil is that during World War II, all metal supplies for non-essential industries were cut off. And so American pencil makers, instead of just being like, okay, we could survive a few years without having erasers on our pencils, they decided to just come up with a non-metal ferrule, which 
in hindsight, it just seems crazy that they would put so much money and effort and time and build out new machinery and do all this work just so they could still have an eraser attached to a pencil. And so they, they made them out of plastic and they made them out of paper. And there are a lot of really cool antique examples of these. And this was also like the beginning of the plastics industry too. So it was like a real innovation that they were making ferals out of plastic. It was really cool. And also gave them some more design freedom because they could make colored plastic and they could print things on the cardboard ferals. They were like advertising stuff on the ferals and putting like characters on them. It was pretty wild. It's a fun Google rabbit hole to fall down. I was just talking about the pleasure of the pencil. Now, what is it for you? For me, it's that simplicity. They just work. You don't have to sort of download an app or it's just a pencil. It reminds us of our childhood. It has that constance about it, which is just satisfying. But for you, I'm just interested. I mean, you set up a whole shop like Where did your pencil interest come from? To touch on what you already mentioned, like I just think that they're amazing objects because they're so democratic. Everybody can use a pencil. That's the word. Yeah. Every industry uses them. Every class uses them. Every type of person has used a pencil at some point in their life. And there are not that many objects that exist that way. And I think the other thing about it too is that it's pretty amazing that very little about the design of it has changed with like the technological advances of the past hundred years. Very, very little has changed. They nailed the design of it from the beginning and just stuck with it. And it's the same. A pencil now is pretty much the same as it was a hundred years ago. Yeah. It's that Richard, there's a very famous allegorical tale, which I'm sure you know, which kind of sums that up, which is the American space program spending millions and millions of dollars designing a pen that would write upside down in zero gravity when they were going to the moon in the late 60s and early 70s. And they came up with this wonderful pen that could work in zero gravity. And of course, the Russians would say, well, just use a pencil. And we understand what that means. It's not true, that story. It's nonsense. Yeah, that story is not true, but it's a good story. <laughs> it's a good, it is a good story. That sums up exactly what you're saying. It's that simplicity. You don't need lots of engineering. Although it is an engineered object, it'd be a very difficult thing to do to make a pencil from scratch. It's like nearly impossible. Like it makes you realize why in Germany, like only skilled cabinet makers could make them. Like it's really, really, really difficult. The measurements are exact down to like the fraction of a millimeter. It's amazing how much precision goes into making them and how much work over hundreds of years went into perfecting the mechanization of them. It's just amazing for something that is so simple and so different democratic. And I just think it's so cool that it has such a power of nostalgia too. It's such an ephemeral object that's so nostalgic and so perfect in its design. I can hardly think of anything else that that's the truth for. No, you're right. And it's funny, actually, I have in my hand, this is my trusty pencil sharpener, also made in Germany. It's made by a company, it's a Ducks pencil sharpener, and it's also from present incorrect. And it's really good. And it's really, really sharp. And there is something about pencil sharpeners as well. For me, those rabbit ear pencil sharpeners, you know, that grab the pencil, you pinch in, and it had a handle that you turn. There's a nostalgia to that, which is really... And the smell of pencil shavings. If I open my pencil, it just smells of cedar. And it's, (laughs) it's a really beautiful smell. Yes, nostalgia. There's something definitely nostalgic about it. 
Yeah, yeah. It smells like something and it feels like something and it disappears, which I think is the best part that you have like a physical record of how much you've written or how much you've drawn or how much work you've done. Like, it's just so cool. And you can use it anywhere. Like you can use it in the rain. Well, it depends on the paper you're using, but you don't have to worry about it running out of ink. I mean, the worst, the only bad thing that can happen if you're using a pencil is that you don't have anything to sharpen it with. That's the only bad thing that can happen. What's your favorite pencil? Do you have a kind of a pencil of your dreams? Oh, a pencil of my dreams. I I don't know. I do really like using a vintage pencil, like one that was made with Tennessee red cedar, like before they stopped making them with Tennessee red cedar. Those are really, really fun to use. And yeah, so for that reason, I really love the Tennessee red. If I had to pick one that was my only pencil for the rest of my life, I would pick one that's Japanese. That's called the Tombow Mono 100 specifically the Mono 100. They make varying qualities of Mono pencils and the Mono 100 is the best one. Just like the design details and the finishings on this pencil are spectacular. It's like as close as you get to like a luxury pencil. And even so, it's like a luxury pencil and most retailers sell it for like $2.50 or like $3. I love that about the pencil that you can get the nicest pencil that exists and it costs you less than $5. It's pretty cool, but... Unless you get a retractable one, you know, the mechanical ones. I don't know where they came from. That's a whole different story. The Japanese kind of innovated this idea of adding other things to a pencil core to make it work more effectively. So like there are different types of waxes and polymers that are sometimes added to make them behave differently. So I really like some of these higher tech Japanese pencils because they have this really amazing ability to be really dark and really smooth, but not too smudgy. And they hold their point really well. They're kind of like the unicorn of pencils. (laughs) When was the kind of golden age of the pencil? In my imagination, I'm thinking of the 1950s to me, that's when pencils were de rigueur. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely like somewhere in the middle of the 20th century. And like a lot of manufacturing industries, they figured out the industrialization part of it really well. So they were really efficient there. They could make a lot of pencils. They hadn't run out of Tennessee red cedar yet. And meanwhile, like in America, they had started using California incense cedar, which is very plentiful and easier to grow and easy to replenish and whatever. And so there's lots of wood to go around. There are lots of new mines that have been discovered. There are pencils being made in many parts of the world. And there are a lot of companies taking a lot of design risks too, because there was so much competition. There are some really wacky pencil designs that came out of the middle of the century. But yeah, it was before a lot of, at least in America, a lot of these companies got consolidated or sold to bigger conglomerates overseas. That's, I feel like from a collector's standpoint, is the most fun period of time to collect because there are just pencil models for every possible theme you could ever want. It's really fun to look at them. There's a website called brandnamepencils.com that's run by this one man named Bob who is a pencil collector. He's probably the most extensive collection of anyone I know in the world. And he documents them online and you can scroll through his online catalog by brand and by region and look at all of the pencils he's collected. It's really, really fun to see how they've changed over time. Nice. And of course, while we're in the Lake District, the Pencil Museum in Derwent. Is that still a thing? I seem to remember there was a pencil museum. Maybe it's closed. Is it still going? Have you been to the Pencil Museum? Yeah, I actually lived in England for a few years. So yeah, oh, I've okay. been to the Pencil Museum. How is it? What happens in the Pencil Museum? <laughs> a lot of it's just history of Derwent and this whole story about the founding of graphite. And the magic tree. Yeah, the magic tree. It's interesting, actually. Some of the world's great religions have magic trees in them. You know, I think of Buddha under his magic tree. And I, I like the fact that the pencil begins 
and ends with a tree. Yeah, that's really beautiful. I've never thought of it that way. Yeah, it's nice. Hey, listen, Karen, thanks for stopping by. And I'm curious, though, because your shop is now no longer. So what are you doing at the moment? Where is life taking you? Well, I'm doing some retail consulting to help other shop owners source better things. And I am working on a big digital platform to help New Yorkers shop local, um, which will launch in a couple months. I have a really cool new business. Great. Yeah. Are pencils involved in any way? I mean, I use them every day. I still get to do wonderful (laughs) conversations and interviews with people like you. I am forever grateful that I get to be a pencil expert. It's a title I'm very proud of. It's nice. Well, listen, if you're in London, look me up and we'll go to Present Correct and go and see Neil and we'll have a browse of their amazing shop. Caroline, a pleasure. Thank you very much for taking time to talk pencils and share my love of pencils. Thank you for having me. That's it. Thanks for listening. I hope you never think of a pencil again without thinking of this particular episode. And maybe we've sparked a whole new love of pencils for you. There you go. If you're enjoying the show, don't forget to tell all your friends and don't forget to, you know, satisfy those voracious algorithms by clicking on like or subscribe or that stuff. And as I mentioned before, if you've got an idea for a suggestion or a topic you'd like us to cover, a story that you love, you can email us at patented at historyhit.com or give me a poke on social media. I will see you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive and new episodes ad-free, along with hundreds of history documentaries to watch. Download our app across Apple App Store, Google Play, and smart TV platforms. Follow the link in the show notes, or go to historyhit.com slash subscribe. There is thousands of hours of history on there, including a documentary on science in the Middle Ages with Seb Falk, and also one with me talking about the secret history of the space race. As a patented listener, you get a special gift if you use the code Patented at the checkout, you get 50% off your first three months. That's patented for 50% off your first three months. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free podcast episodes within the Apple app.